please turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We've been working through this book, the book of Colossians. It was a letter that was written to a church in a small town named Colossae. It was written by a guy named Paul. He's writing on behalf of Jesus. This is Jesus' words to the people at Colossae. And they were important words because Jesus was trying to express to them his love for them. Not just that he would say, hey, I love you from a distance, but God's love was that he came near in Jesus, in the flesh, and Jesus lived, and then he died, and then he resurrected. That is God's love story, is that he did that. Now, a lot of people know that Jesus came, and that he died, and that he resurrected, but we've been learning in Colossians the significance of those things. We saw last week that God did that to qualify you. That when we are born, we are removed from God because of our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. That not only means a physical death, but a spiritual death in the sense that we are separate from the holy, life-giving God. We are disqualified at that point from being in relationship with the one who can have us to live forever. And so last week we saw that the way that God did that, the way that God qualified us, which is what he said in Colossians chapter one, that God, the father qualified us through Jesus was that when you say, Lord, forgive me. Here are my sins, and I I can't even remember all my sins, I don't even think I know all my sins, but I have a, a load of sins and I say, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. We saw last week in Colossians chapter two that he took that record of sin off us and we signified that by this this almost like a little pamphlet. They used to keep a record of debt when somebody owed a debt. They'd keep a record of it. And our sin had a record of debt. And the scripture said that he took our record of debt and completely canceled it off of us because he nailed it to the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And so when you say, Lord, forgive me, he qualified you by taking your sin off of you, nailing it to Jesus on the cross, and he died in your place. And then also the scripture says that he took the righteousness of Jesus and he went and he put it on you so that no longer does God look at you and say, well, I still see a sinner. No, when you were forgiven, your sin was taken off. You put on Jesus and then the righteousness was taken out from him and you were clothed in his righteousness. God looks at you as now one who is qualified. Isn't it discouraging times in your life when you thought you were qualified and then as you went forward, you were told, actually, you're disqualified. I was down with the kids recently at Camp Dixie. It's a great place. There's all kinds of things for them to do. So out in the lake, they can go swimming. They can get blobbed, which ask one of the kids what that is. But basically, they sit on a large balloon on one end and somebody jumps off and hits the balloon on the other end, which then launches them out into the water. It's an amazing little thing to see. Um, they've got all kinds of putt-putt golf. They've got uh, singing that the kids love. And, and there's one thing that my kids uh, really like, and that's driving go-karts. And so they were excited as we went down to camp and the kids went, we wanted to go ride go-karts. So as you get to the go-karts to ride these things, you need to be big enough, right? You don't have to have a license, but you need to be big enough to be able to operate the vehicle safely. And so we stepped up to where the go-karts are and they have this little sign that's painted, some uh, cute little creature that has a little arrow and says, you must be this tall to drive. And so we took our kids and Elijah, 10 years old, steps up to the line. Oh, yeah, he's he's far and above. He's like 12 feet tall now. Um, 
So he, he was qualified. He went and he goes and gets in. And then, and then we have the other two that stepped up and they, they look at the sign and they were above the sign by a few inches. So they go in and they, they go into the cars. They qualify. They were, they were tall enough. They get into the cars. And then the attendant came over and said this, I'm sorry, you're disqualified. What did he mean? I'm disqualified. Then there was tears, discouragement and an escort off the track. Because while the sign said you were qualified, once they got in the seat, they realized their the legs were long enough to be able to reach the pedals. And it was discouraging to think in one moment, I thought there was enough. I thought I had done enough to be qualified to drive. And now you're telling me I can't. How much more discouraging would it be to say, you know what? You are qualified for eternity. You get to live. Only to come and find out that it wasn't enough. What you thought qualified you did not qualify you. And so Jesus has been telling us, no, if you have been qualified in Christ, you have measured up, not because you were tall enough, but because Jesus was. He was able to cancel your sin. And so there is nothing, there is no time you will get into the car of God's judgment and he'll say, actually, that was a trick. You're not qualified. But he also goes on and says this, that there's an elemental way to the world in the which we work. And it doesn't matter what society, what culture, what era you have lived in. And some of you have lived in the Jurassic era, era I know. And nobody's laughing. What's going on? Um, but the world and in our flesh, we have somehow come up with ways to think I've made it. That I can save myself. And so it doesn't matter what religion. There's a working and there's a working. And you have to pray enough. You have to do enough. Or at least numb yourself enough. To get to a place of being saved. And the scripture says that's just the elemental way. That we have tried to save ourselves. That's not the way that you're qualified. You're qualified through Christ and what he did. And so if you've been qualified that way. And not according to the elemental spirit of the world. Why would you go back to living by a set of rules that don't work? that disqualify you. And that's where we go today in Colossians chapter two. It says this in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So Paul says, if you've been qualified, if Jesus nailed your sin and took it away and made you clean, Don't let anybody come and judge you. They're not your judge. Who's your judge? Jesus. And when he judges you, he looks according to what he's done. If somebody comes to you and says, "Uh, uh, uh, you drank too much caffeine. Oh, you danced with a little bit too much hip movement there. If people come at you and they they list off a bunch of rules that you have not been able to follow, he says, don't let somebody come and judge and suddenly lump you into the people who are disqualified. Why? Because that's robbing the work that Jesus did for you. That's robbing you of God's judgment saying, no, I've judged you to be clean. I've judged you to be one of mine. Don't let them judge you according to the rules. That's what I just saved you from the slavery of law and works. There's nothing that you and I can or can't do which would save us. Everything was done by Jesus. So don't let somebody come and judge you. Well, well, what good are those things? And aren't aren't rules good? I mean, they can be helpful. This next verse says this. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, they're a shadow. But the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath, it was created by God. Was it useful? Yeah, I still take one because it's a gift from God. If I break the Sabbath, if I don't do the Sabbath, does that mean that I will then be bound to suffer in hell? No. Because my salvation is not according to whether I have or have not kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to point me to Jesus. It's, it, it's kind of like this. Um, I carry in my wallet this picture of Katie and I. I've had this for years. I love this picture. I don't know if she does or not. All right. It's right here. It's a picture of Katie and I. It's probably too small for me, so I'm going to have you. Would you flash that up on here? Sorry, Katie. All right. I, I've lost a little bit of color, um, but Katie looks great, still looks great. And I, I love this picture. I, I, at times when I miss Katie, I'll take this picture out and I'll look and I'm just like, she is gorgeous. The, as the young kids say, she's hot, you know, you know, she's beautiful. I love this. But wouldn't it be wrong of me to take this image that reminds me of the one I love? Wouldn't it just be wrong of me to go on a date with this picture? You're like, you're nuts. Of course I am. I wouldn't do that. This picture can't eat French fries. Okay. This picture is not very good at kissing. Um, all the kids in the front row are blushing right now. And so is Katie. Um, you see, this is a reminder of the relationship I have with the one I love, who's committed her life to me, who has said, I am with you through richer or poor, in sickness and in health. She's like, yeah, the poor part. Yeah, let's. Um, she is with me. And this reminds me that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't get carried away with this and think that my relationship depends on how well I treat this picture. It reminds me to treat her right. It reminds me of the relationship I have with her. And so in this instance, the Sabbath days, rules, what to do, they are not what judge you. They are what say to you, let me go look at Jesus and what he has done for me. The Sabbath, let it remind me that the Lord loves me and gives me rest, but also that there's a day of rest coming when he's coming back for me. That's what it's for. Let it remind me of Jesus. And so Jesus is the substance. All these things and the things that he's given us are not to control our salvation, but to take us to the one who loves us. And then it says this in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism. Now, just to tell you what asceticism is, that is when you, people would treat their bodies very harshly. Thinking that by somehow maybe re removing worldly pleasures or joy in any way, by removing those things and kind of being harsh on your body, that you are somehow propelling yourself into a more and higher spiritual state. That if somehow you disciplined and beat your body sometimes, that Jesus would love you more. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. It says that no one disqualify you, insisting on basically beating your body. Or the worship of angels going on into detail about visions they've had, things they've seen, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Have you ever met people, and I just met somebody the other day, 
who they've been in church a long time. They're in leadership. They may even teach and do these things. And you come into contact with and they go on and on about how gifted they are. Maybe how they've seen angels and demons. Maybe about how how they've healed people and they go on and they talk and they do this and it had nothing to do with Jesus. I've met with many people who the whole purpose was to prop themselves up. And to make you submit to them. And has nothing to do with Jesus. I sat in a room one time with pastors. This man had called them together. He had called us together and he said, he said, I want to explain to you what's going on in your, in your neighborhood. And so as we sat around, he started doing this. He began shaking our hands just like this. And he went around and he'd look at us. And he kept shaking our hands. And he got through with everybody. He shook, shook everybody's hands and everybody's like, what's going on? And he said this, what I've just done is a spiritual MRI on every one of you. And these pastors, well, I've never heard of a spirit. Whoa, this guy has some special gift. Yeah, it's kind of silly, right? Because in one moment, he was taking spiritual leaders who have given, been given authority to preach the gospel in local congregations. And he said, I have authority over you because I can see into your soul. And then he went on to quote United States real estate law to try to say that we were going to take a vote so that we could have authority in our neighborhood. That's not how it works. What was he doing? He was propping himself up. It had nothing to do with Jesus. And Paul says, don't let somebody come and disqualify you thinking that the things that you know of Christ and what you've learned about his grace and his mercy and his love. Don't let somebody come in with these visions and saying how you need to beat your body into submission and how you need to see visions of angels or worship them. Don't let them come in and then suddenly stomp on the faith that you have and say you're too short, short for the go karts. You, you can't drive in God's love. No, he loves you. And so he says, don't let somebody come and rob you. Don't let them disqualify you. And it says in verse 19, these, these people are not holding fast to the head. We saw in chapter one that the head is Jesus. He's the head over the church that if that head gets cut off, a body has no life, right? If the church gets cut off from Jesus, the church doesn't have a life. We may meet in the building, sing a bunch of songs, but there's no life. There's no Jesus. These people who go on trying to manipulate people, they're not holding fast to the head. They actually have no life. They're not preaching what's good and wholesome. It says they're not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. There's supposed to be health here. Don't let somebody come and give you false substance, bad sustenance. Verse 20 goes on and says this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, again, that's a life of works trying to save yourself. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that are all uh, that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. So he says, if if Christ has done this and told you to not live by these laws, why do you keep submitting to a bunch of rules that somebody judges you by? This says somebody, somebody will say you're disqualified. And here they had a lot of things, you know, don't taste these things. The Jews would tell people, don't you eat pork. Get that bacon out of your mouth right now. Because they were going to old rules and regulations 
thinking that if they did all those, that would make them right. So people would come, don't do that, do do this, don't touch that, do touch this. And if you do those rules, you'll be safe. Paul says, don't do those things to get saved. It doesn't help you in that way. It can't give you salvation before God. And he says, he says this in verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. So he says this. Everybody else might think that that is actually helpful. It might actually look like you're a Christian. It might actually look like you're somebody that God would look at and say, you know what? He's done enough. I think I'll love him. That's not how God works. That's not how grace works. You know why? The scripture says that when you and I were born, we just had this incessant need to be rebellious. In our heart was this root problem in that we didn't want God. We didn't seek God. We didn't love God. And all we wanted was everything for ourselves. That was sin. And so we just came out of the womb wanting to sin, wanting to sin, wanting to sin. We had a problem. We were going to die. We saw it this morning with Mr. Hoover who died. Every person on the planet, there's there's one statistic we know. Everybody at some point is going to die. Because when we were born, we're in sin. And God said the wages of sin is death. But for God, that wasn't good enough. And he struck out on a plan to save us through Jesus dying on the cross to take my sin, to take my death and to put it on the cross. And the question is, well, you're still going to die in the flesh, Jason. But Jesus also said, I have risen from the dead and I will raise you too." the resurrection then becomes our hope. My hope is not in standing before Jesus saying I didn't handle, I didn't taste it, I didn't touch it. Hope is Jesus alone. Because it says this, even if you try to do the rules, you won't be able to do it. Do you know how wicked we are in the flesh? This is what it says. If even if you try, these appear. To be able to have what it takes, but it says it in, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The indulgence of. Of the flesh. That's what we have been trying to do. We want what we want. Even Eve couldn't stop it. I want the fruit. And she took the fruit and was lied to take, uh, deceived into eating the fruit. Adam listened to his wife. He took the fruit and ate the fruit. They were indulging in the flesh rather than in God. I do that too. You and I are like beasts when it comes to just getting what we want. We have not only a culture, a complete Humanity, that all we love to do is indulge in our flesh. It's me, 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 me. We indulge in the, and we can't get enough. And some of us, when we look at I mean, that's beastly, just what we do in sin and the indulgence of the flesh. You're like, no, 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 not me. I'm, I'm not the alcoholic. I'm not I'm not I'm not the one with an addiction issue over here. I'm not the one who is who is off ripping off people on Wall Street. That's not me indulging in the flesh. But you know what? I know in particular fact, this church has an indulgence problem in gossip. Amen. There should be about 100 amens in here. I know we do. 
I've got one person I'll tell things to. You saw her picture. Why? Because I know we love to indulge in gossip. And for a pastor just to stand here and say, don't gossip. That won't restrain you from gossiping. Do you know that? And for a pastor to stand up here and say, don't lie. It won't keep you from lying. For me to stand up here and say, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lust, don't commit adultery, don't go uh, robbing people, don't go judging people. I can't stand up here and give you a list of rules and expect that you will follow them. Why? This says that by laying out a bunch of rules and expecting you to follow them, it will not curb your fleshly desire to indulge in the flesh. The issue isn't us following rules and then trying to get the world to do the same. The issue is, is my heart controlled by Jesus? Am I in this relationship to say that I recognize I'm a sinner and I need you, God. I need you to keep me from gossiping. I need you to keep me from lusting. I need you to keep me from from just completely being self-absorbed and prideful. Unless God changes my heart in that relationship, I'm just going to go on breaking rules. It's like at the Catholic school. Where this one time in the cafeteria, there was all the food laid out and right at the front of the line was a big bowl of apples. And a nun had taken a sign and put next to the apples and said this. Only take one. God is watching. Well, as you move down the cafeteria line at the other end, there was a big plate of cookies. And one of the young kids had scribbled a sign right next to the cookies and says, take all you want. God's watching the apples. (laughs) You see, that's what we do. We just shift around our sin. You know, I'm not the one stealing the apples, but if God's not looking, I'm going to go rob the cookies. Now, you you replace apples and cookies with whatever you're dealing with, whatever you think you're so good at keeping from. You know what? I haven't drank a lick of alcohol, you might say. But over here, you're meddling. And you go home and you're you're fierce with your spouse and you're you're mean to your kids and 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 all you care about is what's on your calendar and spending money on what you want. You've got a you've got a big old pile of cookies and you don't mind taking all you want because you think God's only watching you not drinking the alcohol. Now. What then about God's rules? I mean, didn't he have Ten Commandments? And in fact, in the Old Testament, wasn't there hundreds of rules and laws? And didn't Jesus even say, don't commit adultery? I mean, what then are the rules? If it's just rules, let me tell you this. It's prison. We hate rules. If, if Katie came to me and said, look, pal, keep your eyes on me, buy me lots of jewels, do all the dishes, and she listed off, listed off a bunch of rules, how does a man respond to that? How would a woman respond to that? Well, I guess I said the vow, do all the rules. That's duty. Nobody likes to do duty. 
Nobody likes to just have a, a bunch of stuff put on you and say, you better get it right. But see, the difference is with God, he didn't just lump a bunch of rules and say, you better get it right. You can't qualify yourself by doing all the rules because you're already wicked. You're already judged. But when when God took your sin and he gave you his righteousness, he also said this. Now we're in relationship. That's what righteousness means. You're right with me. You and I are friends. You and I are family. In fact, he calls the body of Christ his bride. And so we're before God not saying, I hope I get all the rules right. What we say is, God demonstrated his love for us in this. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then in 1 John it says this, we love because he first loved us. And so God may have all these things that he desires for us to do and all these things that he desires for us not to do. And we don't do those things out of duty to say, I better get it right. It's just like with Katie, you know what? I don't want to cheat on her because I'm in a relationship with her. I want to buy her jewels because I love her. I want to do the dishes because I'm in a relationship with her. Well, usually I want to do the dishes, not always. You see, it's, it's different when you're in love. It's different when you're in a relationship. And when you're in a relationship with God, it's not about getting the rules right or else he smotes you. It's about, look what he's done for me. How can I, how can I live for you? And the only way to live in a way that God is pleased with is for Christ then to live in and through you. And you can't do the rules. But guess what? There's this miracle that happens when you become a believer and God has forgiven you in that he lives inside of you. And you know what? Your flesh sometimes is going to fail. But the Lord is working on you and he's working on you. And he's working on you. And day by day, he keeps pulling you out of the indulgence of your sin and into the indulgence of him. And you're drawn into Christ and the desire to, to, to please God through him. And so tomorrow you say, today's a new day. Renew my mind, Lord. Remind me of what you've said, how much you love me. And you don't go back to law. You pursue your loved one. I love that God doesn't put upon us a whole list of rules and just expect us to keep it. But listen to how in the Psalms it says this in Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Listen to that again. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. You know what would happen if God dealt with us according to our sin and repaid us for our iniquities? He would kill you. He would he would take his wrath and his anger and he would destroy you. And in fact, if you're not forgiven, that's what will happen. God says he doesn't he doesn't want to deal with you according to your sin, because the way he dealt with your sin was he took his one and only begotten son and had him nailed to a tree. Had him ripped apart like a piece of ground meat. And he did that not because he had sinned, he did that because you and I had sinned. The way he dealt with your sin was he took it out on Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
And he brought his wrath upon him so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, wouldn't die. But have eternal life. That passage goes on to say that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world, that he didn't need to condemn the world because you already stood condemned. Wouldn't it be nice to stand before the Lord and and say, I'm not condemned. I'm not disqualified. You can. The scripture says when you believe. That Christ has paid for your sin and Lord, forgive me that moment. Your sin, your record of debt is put on Jesus and you don't have to try to live holy to make him love you. He already loves you. You're qualified. Your sin has been removed. And you're in a loving relationship with a God who loves you literally to death. It's amazing. And so this morning, as we close, some of you have been so burdened just by getting the rules like all your life. Maybe you had parents, grandparents who were like, do this, don't do that. And you've always felt like I was never good enough. And you've transferred that over to God where you look, I'm never good enough for God. I just can't get all the rules right. The best way of relief is to say, Lord, forgive me. We talked last week, the hardest person sometimes to forgive you is yourself. Jesus has already forgiven you, just put it on the cross. And today you might need to mentally just pray that, Lord, nail my sin, nail my guilt, nail nail my shame, just put it on the cross. Please take it away from me. And some of you may, for the first time hearing the gospel, you've never realized God loved you so much. You maybe thought, I thought it was just a rules game. No, the Lord knew we couldn't do it. That's one of the reasons that he put down the the law, the Ten Commandments, he says, is for us to realize that we can't do all the rules. We need a savior. We need somebody who could. We need a Jesus. So this morning, as we close, we're going to close in song, but I just want to open it up to prayer. You're welcome to come down and pray in the front, but you're also welcome to pray right where you're at. Just say, Lord. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I pray for forgiveness. I pray that through Jesus, you'd qualify me. I I pray, Lord, that as I've wandered away, maybe into rules and thinking that's how you love me, that you'd cause me just to come back to relationship and and just want to do what you tell me to do because because I want to love you back. This morning, you just might need to get right with the Lord. So let's sing. And in your hearts, you're welcome to pray. Would you stand with me as we pray?